an earthen vessel, but Lord, you are powerful. You are everything that I need you to be when I need you to be it, because you are Jehovah. Thank you, Lord, that we can have all our dependency on you, all our sufficiency in you. You are more than enough. We worship you. Amen. So good to be standing here. Um, a little of trepidation, because I got to bed at about 2.30 this morning after justice conference. This was fun. And then woke up at 5.30 or 5 o'clock because Shana was going back to East London. So, But, you know, when you get older, you survive on less sleep. Is that right? Actually, not, it's not entirely true. So the topic this morning is taken from Matthew 6, uh, verse 16 to 18, and it's on fasting. And I wondered, uh, yeah, I wondered if this was the most popular topic of the uh, Sermon on the Mount, because we all love to give, and we all love to pray, or I hope so, but we don't all love to fast. And so I'm going to give it my best shot this morning, and we're going to lock the doors just before closing time. And we're not going to have lunch today. <laughs> well, I saw what Jeremy did last week um, during the 10 o'clock service when he was preaching on, on prayer. And he encouraged everybody, right, guys, get up. Let's go and pray. Let's go and put it into practice right now. So we're going to put it into practice today. So if you don't mind, we'll lock the doors. Stewards, can you get ready? I'll give you the signal. But don't worry about your lunch. It'll be fine. So when people don't take the literal meaning of Scripture seriously, and they tend to over-spiritualize it, they rob it sometimes of its potency. The truth becomes nebulous, its edge is blunted, and it ceases to have any practical application. And basically, that's what's happened with fasting in the evangelical church. They say it's not simply nor necessarily to abstain from food, but anything that hinders our communication and our communion with God. They say fasting means to do without, to practice self-denial. So I'm going to give up chocolate. Or I'm not going to watch television for a week. And if that's what's taking you away from God, then give it up. Give it up permanently. You don't need chocolate or TV. There are many things that hinder our relationship with God, and it's true that we need to practice self-denial in general. But the truth remains, to fast means primarily to not eat. I don't think that's what it's about, because I don't like bell peppers either. So what's the definition of fasting? It's an act of total or partial abstinence from food for a limited period of time, usually undertaken for moral or religious reasons. Uh, if you love food too much to fast, you should have been a Zoroastrian because fasting was forbidden. Or be thankful that you're not locked into Jainism. Jainism teaches that the believer's goal in life is a life of passionless detachment culminating ideally in death by voluntary starvation. So I'm grateful that I'm not a Zainist. Some years ago, in fact, back in 1978, Sandra was diagnosed, my wife Sandra was diagnosed with, 
with Hodgkin's. And at that stage, it was terminal. This was in September, and they said, she may see Christmas. We were in a very traditional Baptist church in Durban, and the pastor said, we're going to fast and pray. We're going to trust God. And I didn't know what fasting was about. But we fasted. The church fasted. We came together on Wednesday night, which is our prayer meeting night, and we prayed, laid hands on Sandra, and she went the following day on Thursday for her final uh, examinations to determine what the prognosis was. And they put her through a whole battery of tests. And the doctors came back and said, uh, something's wrong. We're going to have to rerun the tests because they've all come back negative. And so they reran the tests the following week, and they all came back negative. So Sandra had three months to live, has lived since then, 1978 to now. is, is a good 40 years. That's a good 40 years. God stepped into the picture. I have a friend who is in ministry, who is in ministry, uh, and he had a, an incredible gift of healing. God had, had blessed him with the, the amazing gift of healing. And so he, he arranged for some tent meetings up in Johannesburg, put up this massive tent and invited everybody in the community to come and trust God for healing. And so they fasted and prayed for weeks beforehand. Uh, and then came the night when they had their first healing meeting, and it was amazing. Uh, there were television crews there, and there were amazing miracles that took place, everything from the blind seeing and the deaf hearing and the lame walking, and it was just like from the book of Acts. And the following week, they continued the fast, and when they gathered together that night, nothing happened. Nobody was healed. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and nobody was healed. So Rob thought, well, obviously the fasting didn't work. That wasn't the key. So he didn't fast the next week. And when they came the next Sunday, when they had their healing meeting, an incredible move of God, and the miraculous just happened. And so many people were healed. And so he figured, okay, well, then we don't need to fast. And the last night that they had together... Nothing happened. And I think the truth of that is we can't manipulate God. That's not what fasting is all about. So let's read from Matthew. It says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So Matthew 6, I'm sure you've, if you've listened to the sermons of the last couple of weeks, there are three when you statements. And the first one is when you give. When you give to the needy. It's not if you give to the needy, it's when you give to the needy. But there's a writer to that that says, go into your room, shut the door. Oh, no, it says, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So when you give to the needy, when, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In verse 5, it says, when you pray. It doesn't say if you pray. It says when you pray. So it's expected that we would be praying. Go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And then in verse 16, when you fast, 
not if you fast, but when you fast. And when you fast, there's a rider to it that says, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others. So the statements that Jesus made were unambiguous. They were categorical. They were definite. And they had no qualification. And they were to the mass of his disciples. And he left us in no doubt that he took it for granted that the disciples would give, that they would pray, and that they would fast. So why are we so reticent to fast? Nobody questions that we're required to give, and nobody challenges that we should pray, except we don't all come on Tuesday nights when we gather once a month. Significantly, Jesus dealt with prayer and fasting in two separate disciplines. So fasting and praying are linked in Scripture often, but they're not inseparable. And fasting on occasion can serve a distinct purpose on its own. Just as there may be praying without fasting, so at times there's fasting, possibly even without prayer. And it's acceptable to God. For example, there's no mention of prayer accompanying the fast that we read of in Esther. And in the fast of the prophets and teachers in Antioch, they were giving themselves to worship rather than to prayer. So I want to pick up on three types of fasting that, that I've just been looking at over the last weeks. And the first one is the normal fast. I know, yeah, okay. So we say the normal fast, and people would say, yeah, but fasting's not normal. But this is the normal fast. Jesus fasted, and afterwards he was hungry. It means simply he abstained from food, but not from water. We read in Luke chapter 4. We're told he ate nothing, but we're not told in other scenarios that we read in the Scriptures that he did not drink. Thirst pangs are more intense than hunger pangs. We're not told. We're only told he was hungry. We're not told he was thirsty. Satan tempted Jesus to eat, not to drink, suggesting that the fast was abstaining from food and not from water. Those fasts are normally no longer than three days. And there were some exceptions. We'll get to that later if we have time. Then there's the absolute fast. That's when we abstain from water and from food. And there are numerous accounts in the Old Testament of absolute fasts, and they were never more than three days. Probably because any longer than that would be harmful to a person's health. Um, yeah. The body can, do, can go for a long period of time without food, but it can go for a very short period of time without water. We read in Ezra, he spent the night neither eating bread nor drinking water, for he was mourning over the faithlessness of the exiles. An overwhelming concern over the shameful compromise of the people and the priests, the Levites and the officials, had given the lead that caused him to take neither food nor water. And he says, I rent my garments and my mantle and pulled my hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. Now, some of us can't pull much hair from our heads, but we can sit appalled. Queen Esther instructed Mordecai, hold a fast on my behalf, and neither eat nor drink for three days, day or night. I and my maids will also fast as you do. Desperate times called for desperate measures. And then Saul of Tarsus arrived in Damascus after his encounter with the risen Christ. And for three days, it says, 
He neither ate nor drank. This encounter not only changed his personal destiny, but it shaped the history of the Christian church. There's also some accounts that have a supernatural nature to them because of their very long duration. So these were for three days. We read on two separate occasions that Moses fasted for 40 days. When he went up to receive the, the word of the Lord, when he received the commandments, uh, he was in the presence of the Lord for 40 days, neither eating nor drinking. That must have been supernatural. And then he came down and found the Israelites had, had, uh, had made a calf, a golden image, and he was distraught, and he went back up the mountain and fasted another 40 days. And there wasn't much recovery time in between. So basically, Moses fasted almost 80 days continuously. We read also of, of Elijah when he went to Horeb. Um, he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God, we read in 1 Kings. It would seem the absolute fast is an exceptional measure for exceptional circumstances. Historically, there have been cases of need which have not yielded to normal prayer or fasting, uh, normal prayer and fasting, but have yielded when the intercessor was led by God to an absolute fast. And then the third type of fast would be the partial fast. This is probably the one that we, we, we like the most, just because it's easier. Daniel says, I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth. And the emphasis here was just on a restriction of his diet. Uh, and they didn't have chocolate. The beginning of Daniel, we introduced to Daniel and his three companions, and they've been chosen for special training to serve in the presence of the king of Babylon. And they were chosen because of their noble birth, their intellectual attainments, and chosen not to eat of the rich fare from the king, as it would first have been offered to the Babylonian gods. Instead, they chose to eat vegetables and to drink water. And at the end of the 10 days test period, they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youth that ate the king's rich food. And later in Daniel, he receives a revelation from God concerning the future of his people Israel. And he describes how he sought the Lord for understanding of this vision. In those days, he says, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat, no wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. And that resulted in a great spiritual victory over powers of darkness as well as the unfolding of the vision by angelic messenger. He was also in preparation, his spiritual preparation of Elijah. At Cherith, the ravens brought him meat and, and bread morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. And later in the widow's home, he was sustained just by simple cakes from meal and oil. John the Baptist fasted. At times he ate only locusts and wild honey. John Wesley, extra scripture, during the early days in Georgia, adopted a diet of dry bread when he was dealing with a demon possession case. Reese Howells fasted dinner for, three, for weeks at a time when God was preparing him for a new work. It's a type of fast, the, the partial fast. It's a type of fast that's useful for young people. It's useful for the aged or the infirm who can't risk a total diet for health reasons. It was a stepping stone to a more complete fast. The danger is that we eat more in the other meals because we're going to miss one meal. 
So why fast? What's the purpose for us fasting? I want to suggest we live in a society that has massively concerned issues about health. We, you go to pick and pay or checkers, you look at the shelves at any supermarket, and they're packed with a variety of different flowers. There's cassava flour and this flour and tapioca flour and this. Um, there's sweeteners and supplements and health foods and alternatives to normal foods. Um, the replacement meal shakes and herbal detox agents, and the list goes on. And so fasting is making a comeback in the realm of weight control and detoxing the body. And I want to suggest that's not what fasting is all about. It may be helpful, but it's not what it's about. So for nearly 150 years, it's been out of vogue to fast because it was associated with medieval Christianity, perhaps high church practice or as a weapon of passive resistance, if you think of Mahatma Gandhi. And anyone practicing fasting was considered to be extreme or fanatical. Others had misgivings about fasting because it was synonymous with starving, and they feared it would have harmful results. In Ephesians 5.29, uh, it was taken as a clear indication against fasting. No man ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. And so that was taken, well, then we shouldn't fast. And we, have, we hear people warn, be careful. You live such a busy life, you can't afford to get run down. Arthur Wallace says this, fasting is important, more important perhaps than many of us have supposed. For all that, it is not a major biblical doctrine, a foundation stone of the faith, or a panacea for every spiritual ill. Nevertheless, when exercised with a pure heart and a right motive, fasting may provide us with a key to unlock doors where other keys have failed, a window opening up new horizons in the unseen world a spiritual weapon of God's providing, mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Why fast? I have a few thoughts on that. Fasting is ministry to God. Zechariah 7 verse 5, we read, When you fasted, was it for me that you fasted? God asks. In Acts 13 verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. So much of what we do is ruled by the principle, what will I get out of it? And I want to suggest that fasting is primarily as ministry to God. And even in fasting, much emphasis is placed on the personal benefit for impartation of power or for spiritual gifts or for, spirit, for physical healing or, or for specific answers to prayer. But in his first statement on fasting, Jesus dealt with the whole question of motives. Why do you fast? God's not, God's not only concerned with what we do, but why we do it. And even a right act may be robbed of its value because of wrong motives. So in Isaiah 58, we read, Why have we fasted and you do not see it? And the swift answer that comes from God is this. In the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. And their fasts were motivated by self-interest and self-seeking. And God answers indignantly, is that the fast that I choose? Fasting should be as a ministry to God with a basic motive being the glory of God. 
Joel cried, sanctify a fast. He meant set apart that fast for God. So when we fast like that, we forget the matters of personal gain and we're caught up in wonder and love and praise as we fast unto God. We find ourselves like Anna the prophetess who worshipped with fasting or like the leaders of the church in Antioch who ministered to the Lord and fasted. It's primarily giving ourselves to God and only secondarily a means to secure a certain spiritual end. A quote from John Wesley in his famous message on fasting. Firstly, let it be done unto the Lord with our eyes singly fixed on Him. Let our intention be this and this alone, to glorify our Father which is in heaven, to express our sorrow and shame for our manifold transgressions of His holy law, to wait for an increase of purifying grace, drawing our affections to things above, to add seriousness and earnestness to our prayers, to avert the wrath of God and to obtain all the great and previous promises which He hath made to us in Jesus Christ. Let us beware of fancying we merit anything of God by our fasting. We cannot be too often warned of this, inasmuch as a desire to establish our own righteousness, to procure salvation of debt and not of grace, is so deeply rooted in all our hearts. Fasting is only a way in which God, which God hath ordained, wherein we wait for His unmerited mercy, and wherein without any desert of ours, He is freely promised to give us His blessing. We cannot manipulate God. Fasting for personal holiness. When you fasted, was it for me that you fasted? Zechariah 7 verse 5. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. And I want to suggest fasting is consecration to God, consecrating ourselves to God in preparation for what He has for us. Jesus fasted prior to His ministry. He had received the, the Spirit in fullness at His baptism, but His power was only re released after His fasting and testing in the wilderness. It was Jesus' final preparation and consecration for His mission. When Paul and Barnabas were set aside, it was after fasting and prayer in Acts 13. And when they appointed elders in the church, it was with prayer and fasting. We fast also to change God's mind. It's true. In Jonah 3 verse 5 and verse 10, The people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. When God saw what they did, how they turned from the evil way, God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them, and He did not do it. Yeah, fasting, we can change the mind of God, primarily in consecration to Him and to worship Him, in dedication to Him. Fasting also to free the captives. Is this not the fast that I chose? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. That's the fast that God chose for us. Fasting for revelation. 
In Daniel we read, I, Daniel, turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. The man Gabriel made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. So the messenger was sent from God after Daniel had been in a time of fasting. Then fasting to be heard. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty, we read in Ezra. Isaiah 58 again, the challenging passage on fasting. God reveals the self-seeking and self-pleasing that lies pleasing that lies behind the show of piety. And then he unfolds the character of the fast that he's chosen. This kind of fast brings blessings to others as well as to the one that is fasting. Jeremiah 29, verse 13 and 14 says this. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, and I will be found of you, declares the Lord. When a man's prepared to lay aside, man, woman, when we're prepared to lay aside our normal appetites in our bodies and focus more on prayer, then we really are demonstrating that we mean business with God. When we seek Him with all our heart and won't let God go of God until He answers, it's a commitment that we're saying, God, I tr- I'm trusting you, and I'm prepared to even give up food and deny my body. In Joel 2, we read this. There's a similar call to the whole nation. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people, and the Lord answered. I want to take us to Isaiah 58, just for a few moments. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to be humble? Is it to bow your head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? And to bring the homeless poor into your house, and when you see the naked, to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And then you shall call, and the Lord will answer, and you'll cry, and he will say, Here I am, if you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the need of the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually. What a promise. And satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like the watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. 
and your ancient ruins will be rebuilt. And you shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you'll be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Behold. Oh, that's another one. Isn't that an incredible promise to us? But what is the, what is the true fast? Is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house, and when you see the naked, to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? The Justice Conference, two days ago, Friday afternoon, I sat in a breakout session, and it was on the disparity between the rich and the poor, and the pain of the past. And there was an Enche Domini, 62 years old, who sat listening intently while the speakers just shared their hearts for a few minutes. He had been in the riot police, he told us, because he had an opportunity to speak. He'd been in the riot police during the, the apartheid regime. And then he had a serious conversion. He was a believer before, but he had a serious conversion. God got a hold of him. And then over the years, there were several other spiritual encounters since that. Today, he's the pastor of a church in Durbanville of more than 5,000 people. And his heart is to lead the congregation into true fasting that we've just read of in Isaiah 58. And he wants to lead his church on a journey of transformation and reconciliation. And every time he makes an appeal to the church, he said this. He said, help me. Help me, please. I don't know what to do. I put an appeal out to my church. Let's fast like we read of in the Scriptures. Let's fast a true fast. And all the people do is they write bigger checks. Help me. I'm running out of time. He spoke with tears in his eyes. He said, I'm 62 years old. I'm running out of time. How do I get my church to understand God's true fast and not just to give money? It's a challenge because that's the easy way. It's just to write a bigger check or to make a bigger donation. One of the contributors at the conference said this, Leprosy is when nerve endings don't feel pain anymore. We're the body of Christ, and the body has leprosy. Oh, that hit me so hard. We're the body of Christ, and we don't feel the pain anymore. So we just give money. But what is true fasting? To loose the bonds of wickedness to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke, to share your bread with the hungry, bring the homeless poor into your house, and when you see the naked, to cover him, 
not to hide yourself from your own flesh. It's a challenge. Ezekiel 16 says this, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. We all think that it was sexual deviation. This was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride. They had excess of food and prosperous ease, but they did not aid the poor and the needy. My cry today is, as much as we want to fast food, I didn't mean fast food, McDonald's, I meant as much as we want to fast food, let's not be guilty of the sin of Sodom, where we're proud, arrogant, we have excess of food, prosperous ease, and we do not aid the poor and the needy. God's chosen fast, appointed by God, set aside for God, it ministers to God, it honors and glorifies God, it's designed to accomplish His will, and then it's saturated with blessings for us. It brings open-handed rewards. And it avoids the blessings, meaning more than the blesser. That's a true fast. Lord, help us. We desperately need you to work in our hearts that we can be more effective, more obedient, to walk in your ways, to see your will and your purpose here on earth. Bless us, Lord, as we, as we take this word and meditate on it, as we allow it to challenge our hearts and then step into the things that you've ordained for us to do individually, and then, Lord, as a church as well. We want to walk in your ways. Amen.